You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is Served. And welcome to today's episode of Justice is Served. I am your host, Chelsea Galicia, a workers' compensation attorney from right here in L.A., joined by my usual suspect co-hosts, Shaka Strong. I I always call you by your Twitter (laughs) handle. Shaka Smith, who you can find at Shaka Strong, and B.J. Abron, who you can find at just bjabron.com. Wow, now it turned you into a website. Jeez. Like All right. That. I might start that. Oh, you should. All right. So uh, we are. I am so glad that everybody is back. Um, just if this is your first time joining us, I guess a little background on all of us. Shaka comes from Miami. Went to Princeton, undergrad at uh, in D.C. And then um, moved law school in DC. Law school in DC, and then moved out to LA to pursue acting and fitness modeling. But always loves to go back to his uh, legal roots and give you his analysis and perspectives <laughs> on the issues of the week. And then BJ is a fresh w- a member of the yeah. California bar who True. passed bar uh, just last year. Yes. I can't believe I'm saying last, last year, year already. Yeah. It went by so fast. <laughs> yeah, uh, here from LA, Compton specifically, yes. and has got some background in the public defender's office and business and uh, legal, legal affairs effects. at mm-hmm. BET. Shaka's done natural gas, healthcare. So we got a really good, wide variety of perspectives yes. and backgrounds here to give you what we think are the, the stories in the news uh, from this past week that you should know about. And we're going to give you our legal thoughts and a sometimes personal opinions on these stories. And so I want, first want to start, we have to start with what has to be the biggest um, news. And it's not immediately apparent that this is legal, but it's very legal to me. And that's the Flint Michigan water crisis. Uh, We don't really talk about water issues here very much, but this is a crisis of pretty epic proportions. So Mm. here's what happened. The residents of Flint, Michigan, have been literally poisoned by the tap water because there's lead in it. Lead is a neurotoxin. It causes Mm -hmm. irreversible damage, neurological damage, uh, causes problem mostly in children, behavior uh, problems, learning disabilities, right. and there is no cure. There's no way to reverse this. And the residents of Flint, Michigan, who are close to about 100,000 people, have been drinking this water and bathing in this water for a couple of years, even after there were clear signs that something was wrong with this water. Right. So let's back up a little bit and explain first how we got here. Who can break down sort of the timeline of how this happened? I mean, like you said, first of all, this is a travesty, and it's something that we hate to see happen um, in any any place in the world. Um, but the way that this got here is that back in 2013, they decided to make a move and a change from their water supply from Detroit uh, Department of Water and Sewage over to a, a different one, I believe. Uh, and then at that time, it was like a, a mo- I think it was a moment in between in which they had to 
to supply their own water right. source, yeah. right? So basically, long story short, the water supply was changed by choice over from uh, a, a clean lake yeah. mm-hmm. to Flint River. To their own, and it was actually celebrated as, you know, actually using their own drinking water, which they hadn't done for several years. The real right. reason behind this, and yeah. this is not a political interpretation, this was known to be the reason, was to save money. Yeah. And right. They saved $15 million, which that number will pale in comparison uh, to the numbers that we're going to give you when we tell you sort of the damage that's estimated to be done. So they switched the water supply source in the hopes of saving money. Yeah. And that's when everything kind of changed. And, then immediately, and the problem yeah. is, is that the Flint River is corrosive. Yeah. So there's things in it that are corrosive to pipes. Right. And in Flint, as... In a lot of American cities, there's lead in the pipes. So when you have a knowingly corrosive water going through these pipes, it's going to pick up the lead that's in the pipes and deliver them to unsuspecting residents who are assuming that their tap water is safe to drink and cook with and bathe in. And we know shortly thereafter, even some of the water color had changed, but right. the town had told the citizens, no problems, no worries, you're fine to continue. In, in between that time and, and today, there were a number of incidents that took place in which um, allowed the, the government, excuse me, the uh, Michigan a chance to actually rectify the problem. Yeah. Um, there were people who reported the incidents of, of them feeling ill. Yeah. There were, in fact, General Motors in 2013, they pulled out and, and said that they weren't going to use the water Because supplies. the water was corroding the metal in right. the metal. car parts. Yeah. Not human flesh, we're talking metal. Yeah. yeah. So... So, yeah, there was a lot. There were tests done because people looked at it, and it looked funny, smelled funny, tasted funny. There were tests. The EPA eventually said there was something wrong. And they even the doctors said some of the kids had higher amounts of lead during a particular period, and they chalked it up to seasonal. Seasonal. Seasonal high lead. Oh, my God, this is so infuriating. So it took finally, like, years, and then for some reason somebody believed one pediatrician who came forward to say that our kids were being poisoned. Yeah. And I say our because I think any child in America, I think in, of course. in the when world, I call it ours. Yeah. When it and, comes to water, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, so then it was pretty well known for a couple of months. And even still, the governor was not taking this as seriously as people think he should have mm-hmm. uh, for months. And so now is the question... Did anybody commit a crime? I'm going to jump in first and say I think yes. I think the governor, Rick Snyder, committed a crime in deciding to switch the water source, not doing sufficient testing when they first decided to make the switch, not doing sufficient testing or overseeing the testing agencies because there were state agencies that failed also, the uh, environmental quality control people who are supposed to test this water that didn't do a great job of it. But he's their boss ultimately, yeah. and you yeah. know didn't find. And this. there was no there was no enforcement actions of the EPA's findings. Right. So for me, this seems clear to me that this governor committed a crime, derelict of duty, negligence that rises to a criminal degree. Well, Anybody I mean, agree I th- with me? I, I do agree. I, I won't say it's as clear as maybe you you may make it seem. 
But I, I agree. I think that some type of criminal criminal prosecution should take place what here. What do you what think for? What we're looking at is gross negligence here. Yeah. When you're at a capacity, and, and, I, and a lot of viewers might not be aware that you don't have to affirmatively make an act or, or engage in an act to commit a crime. You can a failure to commit an act or to engage in an act could also constitute a crime as well. And so when you're in a position um, as a governor or in any position similar to that, you have a duty to act in certain ways at certain given times. And here, there were multiple uh, circumstances failures. and failures on his behalf. And where he could, like I said, he could have rectified the situation and stopped it. And every single time, they chose not to. Shocker, I agree. What do you and think? I, well, I was happy to see um, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton coming together and calling out Michigan. <laughs> oh, um, I'm going to clarify yeah, this yeah. statement. They didn't exactly well, they come didn't, together and hold hands well, about no, this. No, no, no. <laughs> they didn't issue any joint statement of any yeah. sort, but it was good to see they were on the same page. Sanders calling for the governor's resignation, um, Hillary Clinton um, offering her support down right. in Michigan. And I, I think that's important. I think it, it offered a very it underscored the importance of what's happening there. We already had Katrina with George W. Bush in a very slow female response. And I did think... Donald Trump, huh? Did Donald Trump lend out a hand by any uh, Just, no. just a question. As of right now, I do. Okay. I, no. No I think he that. was too busy today getting endorsed by Sarah Palin. Yeah, oh, right. right. <laughs> but um, I think it, it underscores what's going on in Flint. And something um, Hillary said was, would this be happening if, if the racial makeup of the yeah, town. Yeah, I don't the want to give Hillary to all that much credit right. because but, many but, people have brought this well, up. Well, yes, of course. The but, residents of Michigan, of Flint, Michigan, are 60% black, mm-hmm. and this is this area has been struck by a lot of uh, economic poverty because this was the original <coughs> home of GM, and when the auto industry declined, cities like Flint were hit the hardest. So, yeah, does it w- would this be the same if the residents were of a different racial makeup? I or think a, it wouldn't be the same, yeah. to be honest, because yeah. you can look at other uh, catastrophic incidents, and as far as I'm concerned, this would constitute a catastrophic incident. Now, the one that I'm going to bring up is Katrina. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a little different because it's a natural disaster. But in terms of preventative maintenance and preventing something oh, yeah. from occurring, you've seen with Hurricane Kat- Katrina, the way the government acted was not... Um, the way that they should have. It was a lot of things that they could have done differently, but in other instances where there were catastrophic hurricanes in different areas where it was more populated with white individuals, they took a lot different approaches here. And I feel like this is almost further than Katrina, because Katrina was a natural disaster. For years, you're having testing that's showing you this this thing is bad, you know? Right. So you you didn't have the preparation necessarily, but with this, But the correlation is the ability to to limit the damage. Yeah, this is even worse That's what we're talking about, limiting the damage. Katrina to me, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think think so too. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think he should be arrested. I think there yeah. should be a, a voter should do a recall. I think I doubt it will happen that the legislature will impeach him. But yeah, May, this is I don't huge, understand yeah. if this is not a failure warranting somebody being fired or having to resign. What is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know there's there's a lot of people who are like, well, we don't have time for that right now. We just need to help the the residents. But yeah. it's so uh, patronizing. Something has so to be you, done. And you know, one of the things that made me so kind of furious about that article that where we saw about Hillary and Bernie's response to this is that. You know, the author of the article was saying, well, Hillary offered to help and uh, wasn't as focused as Bernie was on removing Snyder as the governor and that somehow just offering to help is the better answer. There are many people offering to help. I think what should be done is 
you got to create a vacuum for good people to come in by right. getting out the incompetent people who don't care about the residents. Uh, so today, the governor gave his like state of the state address right. and spent most of the time talking about this uh, problem. He admitted that he let his residents down. Yeah, he little, was sorry, late, but. But he's not going to resign. At, le- at least that's what he yeah, says. These are, med- these are medical issues. It's not just letting I mean, you're talking down. about a generation of people who could be lost because of this. Type exactly. Of Absolutely. So, and also, uh, this governor wants Obama to declare a state of emergency because, well, Obama's already declared a state of emergency, and that uh, allowed the state that's to have like five million dollars. Mm-hmm. But now he wants a. Uh, a, st- a, di- a different sort of state of emergency declared. I can't remember exactly what it's called right now, but one that's like a, a next level up that would entitle the state to like $95 million. Um, oh, wow. And Snyder said that he thinks that it's going to have in like, I can't, shoot, now I can't. It's going to, they're going to need $95 million over a year wow. to help the residents. Uh, as of now, he's put in $28 million. National Guard has come in to help pass out filters and things like that. So the cost of this crisis... Far dwarfs the savings they had, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who was the genius? And the funny thing is, is that he, this governor, when touted himself as like a, <coughs> a nerd, yeah. um, where was he crunching these numbers about yeah. what kind of disaster we'd face. And they and they had the reports very, very early on where this would not have had to go too far. And so that's what's really troubling and about now, this. And now all the, like the plumbing the, uh, for, for schools, the schools, which, by the way, 80% of them in the Detroit area are not open because teachers are uh, not showing up to work as a as an expression of there's not enough funding at our schools and we can't operate this way. And this is the reason why President Obama is in the Detroit area today. Yeah. He was also there because he, to talk about the auto industry and actually how well that it's done that they've paid off their um, the loans that they got from TARP. But yeah, I think this is a classic example of just how far things can extend with like a, a disenfranchised minority. Because you're looking at people of uh, a lower um, a lower socioeconomic status, and now not only are they getting sick, now they can't go to school. So there's getting a trickle down effect. You're just getting pushed and pushed and pushed. You know, education now is going to be is going to suffer for these individuals, whether or not they're actually are able to live a natural, normal life. So yeah. I agree. Oh, man, I hope that this is um, not the last that we hear of this story from a legal perspective. I'm certain. I, I feel like there will be charges at some point during this crisis. I hope to God that there are. They would be um, unbelievable, like yeah. unprecedented, I think, in my lifetime that somebody would actually be held accountable in that way, which is so right. funny because Governor Snyder's like, somebody needs to be accountable, somebody needs to be transparent, and I'm like... Yeah, dude. You. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't understand how, I don't know if it's just like crazy ego narcissism that he's like, I effed up really badly, but I'm going to fix it. Yeah. No, dude, I don't trust you to fix it. Why yeah. would I trust you to yeah, fix it if stage, you're yeah. the brainiac that came up with this uh, solution to, you know, $15 million of savings? Anyways, I'm going to stop before I can <laughs> go on for way too long, but uh, we will come back to it when it comes back in the news. Yeah, All right. I am going to change things way up for a moment and <laughs> give you a word from our sponsors that make this show uh, free for all of you. So we are 
uh, bringing back our DraftKings. Uh, good news, football fans. The playoffs <laughs> are underway, and the big game will be here before you know it. Specifically in, like, what, two weeks by now? This yeah. big game, Super Bowl? Yeah. All right. The bad news is that when it's all said and done, another long, dark off season awaits. <laughs> Cue sad music. <laughs> Thankfully, our friends at DraftKings.com have fantasy football contests running through the conference champion ga- championship games, so you can still play to win cash prizes this weekend and head into the offseason as a fantasy football champion. And Shocker, it's big, there's still- but those ah. of you who actually... I mean, I won one of my fantasy leagues. Oh, wonderful. So I'm good in that round. <laughs> but for you, those of you who actually lost, yeah. there's still definitely a chance to win big. I'm, I'm throwing my hat in the ring this week. Right? So, yeah. All right, there great. So to do that, you just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to victory. Renew old rivalries or create new ones by going head-to-head with friends, coworkers, and fantasy players from all over the nation. Your season-long fantasy football league is over, but the excitement continues with one-week contests this weekend at DraftKings. This is the last time you can play fantasy football until next season, so make it count. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now, and you're going to enter the promo code GEEK. G-E-E-K, and play for free with your first deposit. You could take home the top prize a long time, ooh, along with a lifetime of bragging rights. Yeah, it's probably yeah. More, worth more than the money, right? Definitely. So enter Geek well, I don't for know. free that entry. <laughs> enter Geek for free entry now only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. All right. Thank you so much, DraftKings, and good luck to all of you in the last few weeks we have remaining in this season. There's still hope for Shaka. Let's get this money. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is uh, God, such a weird thing, but um, there's this race for inclusivity, and it's mm-hmm. not from African Americans or Latinos or <coughs> Asians or any of the usual minorities that we think of. We are seeing the rise of white student unions in this race for inclusivity, uh, mostly on college campuses. Shaka, what is this about? Um, well, I guess it's, I think it kind of came about largely in response to Black Lives Matter, and a lot of these um, Facebook groups are popping up. Um, some are actually trying to formulate white student unions at their universities, and I believe it's been done at one or two universities. But there's been a lot of Facebook kind of Facebook pages that are white student unions, and they've been trolling some of the Black Lives Matter um, groups and, you know, what they're doing. But it's become a debate that people are actually having in college cl- classrooms, whether or not white student unions should be allowed if they have black student unions, shouldn't white student unions be allowed? And it's something I've heard, you know, even in college. What, what, why are black people allowed to coalesce around this sort of group that's about race, whereas if a white, if a white student doesn't, there seems mm-hmm. to be a double standard? Well, to me, it's pretty obvious because you can, but why would you need to do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and that's the question. It, it, you have to step back a second and ask why are these black students actually congregating together? Exactly. Yeah, so uh, clearly there is nothing that anybody can do to stop these white student unions from forming. We have freedom of assembly and speech, you know, all that kind of stuff that protects their right to do it. But I mean, what are, why? What are, what I can't are, see what's what a good reason. What are you talking about? Now? Let's protect our dominance? Well, I mean, well their, their concern is that over the next 30 years, <clears throat> you know, white Anglo-Saxon Americans will be the minority in this country. Mm-hmm. And so I think they see it as a preventative measure that they can 
get together now and you know, get their voices heard. Well, they're yeah. becoming a minority as we speak today, but when you look at it, that's in general. When you're talking about population, when you start talking about finances or, or where you are economically, where you're talking about percentage of white people in colleges, it's, and it, then, those, those demographics look completely different. They you, still look the same. And I think you touched on, on the last part. This is in colleges, and colleges are predominantly white. And so... Uh, the, I think historically the reason you had black student unions forming or these groups was because of the history of this country. You, you had um, race riots. You had black people getting, you know, hosed down the streets and on college campuses they were intimidated and beaten. And so these unions were a way for them to remain close and protected from physical harm when it was happening in the most extreme circumstances. Yeah. And now they continue to be formed to make sure that they have a voice on these college campuses where you have a majority of a white population, but you have things that tend to disenfranchise black students and they're excluded from the table when it comes to um, other community organizations on campus, um, whether it's anything that is coming top down in that sense where they have felt that they have been disenfranchised. Yeah. And so I think that's that's where these unions have been born out of and to now have a corollary of a white student, have a corollary that of a white student union where they're not facing those issues, it mm-hmm. seems to me... And, and some people are doing it as a slap in the face. Like you, you mentioned a Facebook thing and I had read something before stated that a lot of the Facebook um, pages that were developed, nobody had a name on it. Um, You couldn't identify who opened it at all. And so someone was just opening this up just to open it up. It's kind of like those people where you have a Black Lives Matter movement and somebody comes out and says, all lives matter. I mean, the only thing that will you know, stop these groups will be if they cross the line and go over into hate speech, which could happen as it's being said that some of these groups are sort of sponsored by white supremacist groups. And then if we see um, a lot of the Black Lives Matter people and a lot of the um, students just on college campuses um, have been, um, they've been protesting wearing some of the Facebook comments of a lot of these white student unions that have been posted. And it goes back to, I think we had a discussion before about whether um, I think someone was going to publish on the billboards uh, statements over the internet, right? And that was in, I believe it was in Brazil, but now we have them doing it here. And I think it's such a good idea because a lot of people do feel safe behind a computer to be as racist or derogatory mm-hmm. as they want. And we have to look, if the white student unions are, are making a movement that is positive and based in some positivity, maybe that'll be something to look at um, Ongoing, but right now they're they're a very retaliatory um, response yeah. that is very that's negative. Exactly, yeah. That's what it is. F- and see, the, when when I think the black organizations um, developed or organized, it wasn't. It was for like you stated. It was for a particular reason. It was because of discrimination. It yeah. wasn't because we want to organize or because we want to, to dominate oppose, over yeah. you the or idea keep you from that. You they know. want to unionize or come together because they're going to be a minority soon. Yeah. Just proves that they know how shitty minorities have it in this country, and they fear becoming a minority who's not heard and who's not, uh, uh, you know, given the same opportunities and who's ostracized or or left to the peripheral. And so they're like, well, shoot, the way that we have been treating these people is about to come back and bite us (laughs) when the demographics switch. So why don't they just clean up their act now, treat everybody equally so that when the demographics switch, everybody's equal anyways. I mean, I don't know. Some people... 
and when I say this, I don't mean all white people. I yeah. just mean a, a certain amount. And yeah. of, of course, this is not just white people. It's in every race. But some people can't fathom true equality amongst everyone. And they just can't. And when we talk about I think it's been very highlighted over the last few years, especially with the economic downturn, how much power that 1% has, how much money they control. You're talking about the top, the 1%, top 1%, the richest Americans. And those, and that 1% is, what, 99% white, you know? Yeah. So it, I, when you talk about power, just being a minority doesn't necessarily mean that you are without power. Right, because look at that minority. Exactly. That's not a disenfranchised minority, and that's the difference. Exactly. Right. Okay, well, so I'm all for freedom of expression and stuff, but please, I hope these people, you know, behave not only legally, but civilly. All right. (laughs) Very important. So now on to an abortion issue in front of the Supreme Court. And when I first read this, I was like, really, we're talking about abortion? Has this not been settled already? Mm -hmm. I was realizing, you know, adding up the, the years, Roe v. Wade, 1973, the Supreme Court case that made legal abortion constitutional, is 40-some-odd years old now. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And there are still states that are trying to reverse it or chip away at it. And Arkansas is one of those states. They have tried to... um, They did, I believe, um, put into effect a law that made it illegal to have an abortion after 12 weeks. And then what happened from there? So, well, initially when I heard this story, I, I was like, how is it still an issue? It, it seemed like it was a well-settled law. Um, but what Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade stated was that you can have an abortion um, before the vi- before the date it's viable. Right. So viability meaning, like, when it's, like, really this baby could live an independent life like, of its on mother. Its own, yeah. And, you know, different people have come out to say it's anywhere between 21 to 26 weeks. And, of course, Arkansas used someone that said it was 12 weeks. So at 12 weeks, I believe, they'd established the baby can feel pain. Or the, I think I heard that that's at 20 weeks. So I have it, no idea why 12. But I think they it, it was a different standard. It might have been the heartbeat standard where they said, oh, yes. the yes. they, they could detect yes. the heartbeat. Okay. 12 weeks, right? Okay, they could detect the heartbeat. That's what Arkansas was pushing And for. so that's what Arkansas decided to push for, thinking we can make a case that that heartbeat also means viability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the Supreme Court rejected that. And so I think what people don't realize is that though Roe v. Wade um, – made abortion legal, um, it, there was a lot of, it, there are ways for states to then to then kind of limit that scope. Right, right. And so states are free to regulate abortion. Yeah, you can regulate it. And regulating abortion is where I think the states have gone to in order to try to stop and, it. And that's the reason why when you hear abortion, that's the reason why you still hear it today. Yeah. It's because it, it, Roe v. Wade did not say that abortion is legal yeah. 100%. Yeah. You right. can regulate only, bu- only before a certain point, though. Yeah, and it should be regulated, but... When do they overreach and it's no longer regulation? It's just like... That's the underwear. Yeah, it's abstention, yeah. really. All right, so why are we talking about it this week? Um, well, of course, because of Arkansas. Um, right. You know, so Arkansas, the Supreme Court said, you know, that law does not stand. And so... So the Supreme Court just announced yeah. that we're not going to uh, hear the case that would yeah. allow this this bill to, or this law to be in effect. It, it came out of... Um, was this the whole the well, there was w- why court. women's the whole women's health case? Well, no. So now we have the women's health case, and I think this is instructive um, a little bit for the women's health case that's coming up, and that's a little bit right. bigger of a case coming up March second. The Supreme Court will hear, um, and in that case, um, they are trying to 
limit, they're trying to regulate the abortion clinics to have standards that are very similar to a hospital standard. Right. So they, in this case, think the state of Texas want to impose all of these regulations on (coughs) the doctor. The doctor has to have, like, hospital privileges within 30 Mm -hmm. miles. Right. And that the facilities themselves have to live up to certain Certain specifications, like Mm -hmm. the doorways and things, which if there was an actual connection to the safety and health of, you know, the the woman or at there any connection to health yeah. i could understand it which i think so, that they may have a viable argument there because other facilities um that don't deal with abortion actually adhere to these things but uh, there are certain specifications but as far as i know i think the specifications were for large hospitals okay and so i think they knew going in that this would be a very arduous task for a smaller clinic Yep. And uh, I think it's shown by the numbers that have already uh, they, they went from forty to nineteen. When I think this, and I'm not sure what all the specifications are. Yeah, personally, uh, and there goes those personal views you talked about, right? <laughs> so personally, I, I think I'm okay with the specifications, barring that some of them are outrageous. Um, but when you start talking about the thirty miles um, for the doctors, I think now you have a huge problem, and that's where these people are having to go to different. Thirty states miles now. doesn't seem all that far, or yeah, doesn't seem like that's too far. But, like, the state of Texas is, like, 800 miles mm-hmm. long, and there aren't that many hospitals, even so, though it's, like, the second most populous um, state in the country. You know, they, they're, they're spread out. So it's some of this regulations can be sort of rationally related to health, yeah. which gives it a state interest, and I think it'll pass constitutional muster. But I think the specifications that are not rationally related yeah. to protecting the health of yeah. people are just going to get tossed out. But what's interesting to me about this issue is that it's such a hot topic issue still, and especially because we're in an election year. And I was like, how is it that this issue hasn't really changed when things like the the perception of marijuana and gay marriage has completely <coughs> flip-flopped over the last 30 years. Yeah. And that's a result of stigma. Yeah, I think that's a result of stigma. I think when it comes to marijuana and gay marriage, there were stigmas around those things, but over time we had, you know, medical marijuana and doctors coming out in support of it. And I think when it comes to gay marriage, you had a lot of people over the last 50, 60 years that were coming out of the closet. So it wasn't that it was another issue that wasn't relevant to you. You might have had a friend or a parent or, you know, someone related to you that was gay. So it became a personal issue you could see and touch. And, you know, whereas with abortions, people still haven't really talked about them. So you might have people in your life that have had abortions. You just don't know about it. Yeah. And so I think there's still a great stigma about it. And as long as that stigma persists, then the mindset won't really change. Yeah, so it's very interesting that this this issue has not moved at all in public perception, public opinion over the last, you know, 40-some-odd years and doesn't look like it's going to change. So we'll how, probably I mean, be how covering... How are you guys' sentiments on that? Do you guys... How do you guys feel like I, the court will rule? I, I, I don't... It's not like I love abortion, yeah. but I do um, understand that that if we, the government, limits... Uh, women's right to an abortion, like like all together, you can't do. We're going to have back alley abortions that are more right. dangerous to women. We're not going to make abortions go away. Right. I think what I would like to do is legislatively make it easier for women to get a hold of contraceptives mm-hmm. um, because then the number of abortions will go down. So well, again, I would here, like and, and to see it go down. What they're going to argue is that we aren't, we aren't trying to do away with abortion at all. We're trying to enhance um, or, or protect women, actually. That, that's yeah. what their argument is, that they're enhancing the way the, the, the process is done to make sure it's more safe for them. 
Now, I would argue, I, I think mm-hmm. the Supreme Court, personally, I think the Supreme Court probably will not rule in favor of it, simply because it's a, this, this will come down to the undue burden yeah. test, and I think that it creates a huge and extreme undue burden for them to have to travel now because what were the statistics? There were 42 yeah. hospitals or, or plans. Yeah. Yeah. And clinics. clinics. And then once this came down, I, I believe it dramatically shifted to 19. And then, it's, and, then and if 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 this actually goes through, they yeah. said it would be like 7 yeah. or 11, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's having definitely an impact. And, you know, this is really affecting a lot of minorities, you mm-hmm. know. You know, wealthy people will be able to go out of state. They'll be able to go out of their county. They'll be able to find, you know. Great point. Yeah, and so it's really disproportionately affecting a, a class of people. And you, you've seen this before. You've seen, I mean, we'll go way back where it's like you can vote, but we have a poll tax. You know, mm-hmm. we, you, we can vote, but you have a literacy test. So are the regulations so overreaching that it's really a prescription for it, you can't do this at all. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more of these cases because this issue will not uh, go away, for better or worse, will not go away. But I'm hoping it will not it, – it will sort of maybe dwindle down because it won't be that common if everybody has yeah. health care and is able to prevent – pregnancy when they do not want to be pregnant. I think the interesting part about this is like I say, well, let's, you know, allow everybody to have health care and free contraception, whatever. And then people were like, but who's going to pay for that? And then somebody says, you know, the woman who wants the abortion was like, I want this abortion and I can't, you know, afford this child. And the person's like, too bad. Um, And the woman's like, well, who's going to pay for this? So the having a child costs about $250,000, $250,000, I think that's for a middle-class child from mm-hmm. ages 0 to 18, not including college. Um, so I think the prevention is much cheaper, and I think that much smarter investment. And I think when you talk about healthcare, I don't even think that's going to make much of a difference, because I think for a lot of the people that are pushing these undue burdens, even one abortion is too much. So... I, I don't know if reducing the number makes people feel better about over regulating so the industry. Like, but like, I mean, let's turn this around to guns. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to try and take everybody's guns away, but can we just bring the numbers down? Like, is that not a compromise? Just yeah. like bring the numbers down of mass shootings and accidental uh, shootings that you, people hurting themselves. Or but then, other. even on that side, you're going to have people that want to overregulate because they still believe even one gun out there is too much. So, you know, you're going to have this is this is my offer of, of compromise. I want to be, you know, Excuse fewer me. accidental shootings and mass shootings. So just let's regulate the, the guns a, a, a bit. Yeah. And then on the other side, the abortion people, let's allow I'll allow some regulation, but don't try and like yeah. make it illegal for anybody and, to get it under any and it's circumstances. A, it's a heavy, re, it's a heavily regulated industry. Like it, it is regulated quite well now. So it's which not, one? The, the abortion and industry. I, yeah, and, and, and rightfully so. Yeah. Again, I'm pro. I'm pro abortion. But rightfully so, it should be regulated. It's, it's a very dangerous process. But this and it's is a about procedure that, yeah. Yeah. Th- To me, I agree. I think this is a, definitely overreaching yeah. and an undue burden for sure. Okay, so th- uh, on to immigration, something we don't talk too much about on this show. But what's interesting is that the Supreme Court has said that it will rule on Obama's immigration policy mm-hmm. this year uh, before he leaves office. So... They will be looking at the constitutionality of the executive orders that he issued. Um, They're mainly about allowing people to stay here. They've been here for a while. They have children who are United States citizens, what some people like to call anchor babies. Um, What do you think is going to happen? 
Uh, do you think that they'll be constitutional, these executive orders? Well, typically I would have said yes, but um, it seems that they're looking at the take care clause and whether or not the issuance of these executive orders um, somehow is an abdication of his executive duty. What does that mean? Uh, so whether or not he went so far that he, his boundaries. Exactly, overstepped his boundaries, so that they are null and void, um, that he did not take care in proceeding the right way um, regarding this whole executive order. It, to me, this is a, is a, a, a tough one. Um, whether or not they will they will stand muster, but the the president has the, he can regulate these things, right. and he's regulated immigration before. Um, past presidents have, and so I don't I, I don't see them failing. You know, I do see Supreme Court upholding these executive orders, but yeah, I mean, this is a huge thing. Otherwise, there's going to be like mass deportations but, on like a, yeah. I just, I personally have not seen the take care clause used um, to undo the constitutionality of anything. So it'll be interesting to see how that, <laughs> yeah, that plays that's out. A good, that's a yeah. weird approach, actually. BJ, you have any other thoughts on it? I mean, I, I personally, I'm against it. I don't want to see the mass deportation of uh, a number of people who actually do good in this country and, and actually provide uh, various different aspects that our country could use. I mean, we need, we need to grow in a number of, in a number of ways and our, our mental concepts. And I think when we add a number of different people from different nations, um, and I think that we're targeting specific people because of certain incidents here, um, and, and I don't think it's fair, honestly. Yeah, and I always will go back to the fact that, yes, I understand you think they, they got here illegally, but we as a country, yes. the United States, <laughs> did a lot of wrong and illegal things that, that destroyed much of Central America the infrastructure and all, I mean, just set them way, way, way back so that we made their choices, options, economic possibilities yeah. in life very limited, so much so that they were willing to risk their life to come over here to work, not but, come. Uh, and, and like you said, I mean, one of the things that I do when I talk to my friends who are uh, Americans, European Americans, and I, I just remind them, your ancestors came here illegally also. It's true. It's just the truth. So it'll be uh, something that we're going to pay careful attention to because yeah. when the Supreme Court comes down with the decision on whether these executive orders were constitutional, it will have a massive uh, impact on people right away. Yeah. All right. So then a more, I guess, in light of everything we've been talking about, a lighter story, but that people are taking very seriously, and that is the lack of diversity in the Oscar nominations. And we're like... Maybe we should do some sort of uh, affirmative action or something to help them out. Well, how can justice be served? How, right. <laughs> what What would um, you know? There's a lot of people saying that they're going to. Well, I don't know if I could say a Boy, lot of people, but, there but some there's prominent some people. people yeah. Absolutely. I think the big thing with this issue, with this topic, is um, and, and what I've seen is a lot of people are just kind of looking at it like, what can be done? Something has to happen. This has to be illegal. Or, like, how is this possible, right? And I think that's where uh, where it, you know, yeah. kind of catches our eye, and we had this conversation. Like you said, you know, what is a step? Can, can we apply affirmative action? And, and, and clearly, from a legal standpoint, we know yeah. um, that, that we can't actually do that. Not but not from the government. Like, the government, the government, the state can't come in and say, all right, Hollywood, you got to start and, applying it. But right. And let's just start with saying that there were no... Um, there were no nominees for the last two years. So of color, and you're talking about twenty different categories. And you're talking and about so, great movies, great actors. Yeah, yeah we, we had Michael B. Jordan in Creed, Benicio del Toro. This year, there were no Hispanics either. Um, yeah. So we we had some great performances, but there was no representation. 
And I know the Academy came out and kind of apologized and said, we, we are doing our best to change up our membership, which is, for the majority, It's like 90% older, white, white and 80% males. male, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, so what do you think if they were to institute, like, within their own organization, they would say some, you know, affirmative action type policy <coughs> and said, like, well, 20% of the nominees, it, not in every category, but just 20% should be a minority. Would you think that would be helpful and... and lead us to sense of justice in this I forget what the statement um, that was was released was, but essentially that's what they're doing, actually. I mean, they're not giving a percentage, but when you say, when you make a statement saying that we apologize and we're going to make sure we make a change to that, that's essentially what you're doing. Uh You're just not putting in black and white detail. I would be willing to take a bet that things look the same the next year. Oh, I would, too. (laughs) But I'm just saying, (laughs) that's what you're saying. But if they did an actual policy, then there would be some numbers that you can actually look to and hold accountable. Well, Well, when you talk about hold accountable, again, because this is not being done by the government, this is an internal process. They could say that about themselves. Yeah, Yeah, but you self-regulate. So if you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. Well, the the, the president, she is black, um, but it's just a membership that votes on these. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think that kind of self-regulation would be harmful in the situation. Um, I, I think people would look at these as quotas, and people just do not look at those favorably. And then it becomes you are nominated because of this. Exactly. And so that's I, the only reason. And some people, and so, to be honest, some people might not even want to accept that award. Yeah. You know. And so now they're talking about really trying to change, have the membership reflect the industry more so. I think that's what makes the most sense. And so whether or not they actually do it. We'll see. I say nobody but, watch it, nobody attend, everybody just do away with it, let it collapse and start a new one. That's the that's <laughs> but, how, that needs to be our approach with gov- with everything. That needs to be our we got to do away with these systems completely. Yeah. And I think that, that is has how to be you the serve, approach. That's how you serve justice in this I case is through a boycott. When you, and you when you boycott pe- and you affect people's numbers, the viewership goes down, advertisers are unhappy. Money goes down. Money goes down. Got to hit them. Yeah, he was getting there. I was yeah. waiting for yeah. it. He was getting to the so money. So all of a sudden, people <laughs> then start to go, okay, now, now we now we have to do something about this. So yeah. the justice is really provided by the viewers yeah. or the lack of viewers yeah. uh, who support. And the worst, it, it really affects minorities in such a bad way because, you know, the Oscars have done this with a lot of a lot of um, people of different color, um, where they kind of give you the, the Oscar that you should have won a couple of years ago. But now, <laughs> you know, and they, they've done it with several different actors, white, black, whatever. And, but now you, you have a host of, um, I think, actors of color that are now waiting in a queue. And now if they win an Oscar for some performance that's not great, then they're kind of, you know, that yeah. it, it doesn't look good for the industry as a whole either. So right. it, it, hopefully they rectify it soon and, you know, they're able to give those guys their And just, their so, you know, last, there's no legal consequence to this, but what do you think Chris Rock should do? He's being asked to step down as host and... Yeah, I, I think it's a very difficult job for Chris Rock as a black person because... <coughs> He's a comedian, so you have to make light of the situation. You have to make a joke about it. But how can you make a joke about it when it it's so present, it's so real, and it's affecting you? Like, Sometimes you have to just embrace reality. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of these people get on this platform. I'm talking about athletes because that's the same. The, the question that's posed to Chris Rock is the same questions that was posed to the Clippers basketball player. When Donald Sterling, who Very unfortunately true. is an alumni for our law school, <laughs> um, we don't have to tell the people that. Right? <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. That's true. Um, but that's the same question I was posed: Should you go out and do your job? No, I think not. I think at this point, you you make a statement. And you say, "I'm standing for something." You can get up there and you can make it funny and make a joke about it and actually bring awareness to it. We've done that for decades. 
put it into it. Stop. Say, I'm not taking it anymore. I'm done. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's a tough, at least with the Clippers, they're just playing basketball. They don't have to speak. But they could know? have not played basketball, and what would, what would the arena have done? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have went to the Clipper game. I would yeah, have been of upset. Of course. They could have shut it down. But I think, but playing didn't hurt them. I think him hosting the Oscars might hurt him, just because he, the, He's got to be perfect. He's got to be perfect in a way that I can imagine him being. I'm mm. not sure how it would hurt him. Okay. Lose people, the respect of a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, people are going to say Chris yeah. Rock has a very hit. The vast majority of his fan base is actually white. But I, w- hmm. but I might say people will say, you didn't say enough, you didn't do enough. Or if he goes crazy, they might say, you did too much, we're done with you. Yeah, that's right. So like, how do you walk this middle line of such a very serious issue that affects you and people are watching you for this issue? Like Everyone's going to be glued to the Oscars to see how he handles this. Forget the winners. Let's see how Chris Rock is handling this <laughs> this issue. That's true. All right. Thanks for being with us today at Justice is Served. I am Chelsea Galicia. We have... Uh, MJ Abron and, and Shaka Smith. Yes. And uh, we will be back here next week with another episode of Justice is Served. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.